0: Good morning uh Little Rock This is Alan Kerr filling in for Dave Ellswick uh, while he takes care of some personal business I am a uh, former state representative former insurance commissioner former justice of the peace and I'm back into the public sector now uh but um, um, here filling in for Dave ellswick uh while he's uh while he's out you know one of the top stories uh this morning is uh Cracker Barrel adding alcohol to its menu, and uh, I was talking to my my uh, uh, engineer here Heidi this morning. Next thing you know, they're going to have uh, margaritas at, at Chick Fil A. You know what else? What, what what's going to happen next? Uh, stay tuned. Today we're going to have uh, the car and truck guys coming in at the eight o'clock hour to talk to you about your um, your car, your car repairs and all the things going on with your vehicle. Right now, uh, we've got uh, Lieutenant Governor Tim Griffin, also a former congressman. I met Tim uh, years ago before either one of us actually got into politics, but we're thinking about it. I met him at – I remember a meeting that I had with him at uh, uh, Starbucks, and I think we were sitting there trying to talk each other out of getting into politics, but uh, it didn't take. We both jumped in. So uh, good morning, uh Good morning, Lieutenant Governor. How are you today?
1: Good morning. I am. uh, I'm hanging in there. I'm doing well. Uh, It's it's good to hear you taking on another job. Add it to your hundreds of different uh, talents, and I appreciate uh, you. You do have a Dave. Better. um, You better watch out because you do have a voice. For radio, yeah. yeah, have that radio voice, yeah, have that radio voice.
0: I appreciate that. that, I appreciate that yeah. my I don't, my wife I don't tells me that all me. the time <laughs>
1: i don't re- I, I don't remember you um I don't remember that meeting at Starbucks, but uh uh I'm sure that was a long, long time ago, and I want to clarify, I was real involved in politics, I just hadn't been on the ballot,
0: ah. There you go. Uh,
1: if I if I remember correctly, but uh, well, this was anyways, way before you were married, married or younger.
0: Way before you were married or had children, so you know you had oh, lots of free goodness. time. That's why
1: <laughs> I had lots of free time. I had lots of hair, and I had lots of brown hair. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which I don't have anymore. Oh, good. Well, look. Well, there's, this a, is... a, there's a. There's a. Yeah, there's a lot to talk about uh, today. So, uh, where, where do you want to where do you want to jump in? Gosh.
0: Well, I'm going to leave that uh, up to the dealer here. Uh, where would you like to jump in? Looks like uh, well, school choice know, is is high on your list.
1: Well, yeah. So, uh, look, I think there's several things I'd like to uh, talk about. Uh, uh, school choice, uh, the First Amendment. I think it's really important as we go through uh, these times that we. <laughs> keep an eye on protecting the first amendment and the ability to express ourselves. Yeah. Luckily, fortunately the constitution guarantees a lot of that, regardless of what, what people might, uh, won't want to say or do. And, uh, so let me, let me dive right in, uh, first on, on, on school choice. You know, one of the things that the pandemic has demonstrated for parents and I'm a, I'm a parent of three young children two of which are in school is the fact that we count on our schools to provide structure and to educate and we've been able to see a lot of the inner workings from our home during this pandemic because a lot of parents had to had to step up and and sort of manage at a minimum manage that process but what a lot of parents have seen Uh, talking to other parents is is maybe their child got a little different educational experience during the pandemic than some other child. And I think it just uh, emphasizes for us once again how important it is that parents be able to shop around and make choices when it comes to where and how their children are educated. And, you know, it's interesting. If I told you, you could only shop in the stores in the district where you live, or you could only go to the university in the district where you live, you would say, that's un-American. That's ridiculous. How can you limit my choices that way? But with regard to education, We do that every day. We absolutely do that every day. Now, we've made progress on the public choice side of things, where people have some degree of choice as to which public school their children uh, can attend. But we still don't have the sort of choice that other states have had for a decade, two decades, uh, where they have benefited from – Parents voting with their feet, deciding they wanted to go here or there. And I think it's really important we continue to talk about this issue. Uh, And this pandemic highlights the fact that parents parents certainly aren't perfect. I'm not perfect as a parent. But parents have the responsibility before God for their kids and ought to be making the decision as to where and how. Their children are uh, are educated, and so I, I think you. Know, next year, we'll be going into another legislative session in the General Assembly, and I think that uh, the topic of individual choices for parents uh, for their kids' education uh, needs to be front and center once again. And, and I am I am I believe that it will be. I believe that uh, ultimately, the issue of choice is going to win out. Um, And I know, uh, uh, I I know that I've I've even got a two-year-old, believe it or not, and we'll be making those (laughs) same choice decisions, you know, as as we go forward. And I tell people, I make, I make, I exercise school choice every day. People that are able to put their children in this school or that school. Uh, they're exercising school choice every day. The only people who don't get to exercise school choice are the people who don't have the means to do that. So um, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that issue, but I believe that this will continue to be be an issue until we make more progress on it.
0: Well, absolutely. And, and, you know, if the last few months have taught us anything, it's that uh, there's more than one way to educate a child uh, other than cramming them all into a – Uh, a a gigantic building and and you know trying to hold their attention um now you know all all forms of education should be available to parents uh regardless of what that is your child uh children earn learn at at different levels at different paces and um you know one size fits all uh that we've had over the last several decades is is um going to go by the wayside because um um, it's you know it's it's not not as safe as it used to be, and it's not uh, as effective as it used to be. Now, uh, saying that, my my daughter, who I got a couple of my grandkids with, my oldest daughter, she sent me a text the other day and said, uh, "Well, this is the time of year I normally find out who my my child's teacher is going to be next year." And it kind of paused there, and it says, "I'm just praying it's not me again." So, (laughs) well,
1: I I, I will say, uh, yeah, I will say there was a study out that uh, indicated a lot of the, not all, uh, and I certainly believe that uh, that my children uh, got uh, pretty good uh, education uh, at home, uh, (laughs) even with imperfect me um, uh, uh, being the teacher. But there is, some, there is some data to indicate that nationally, by and large, the online experiment at home, because we didn't have a lot of ramp-up time and, and training and, and uh, et cetera, that generally speaking, it, it, it was not a success according to some of the, the data. Uh, but, but I will say this. You, you hit the nail on the head. There are a lot of different ways to educate uh, young uh, children, Uh, whether it be in a traditional public school, uh, a charter school, which is a public school, a private school, parochial school, uh, homeschooling. You know, homeschooled children represent, if you put them all together in the state, uh, the biggest school district in the state. And if you look at the outcomes for homeschooled children, uh, they're absolutely outstanding and, and always at or near the top. Uh, so I think the general recognition that cookie-cutter does not apply to children is is a good one. The other thing I wanted to mention uh, on the education side is, and, and, and if we don't address this <clears throat> more and do more in this area, it will make at-home learning uh, uh, more and more difficult, and that is the issue of illiteracy. We have a. We don't just have a problem with illiteracy uh, in our schools in Arkansas. We have an emergency. We really do. We have uh, a third or more uh, of our students can be up to the 40s and even higher, depending on the school, a significant, significant percentage of children in any in any particular grade, who just can't read, and um, you know this is an ongoing problem. There are certainly things that have been done to address it over the years with mixed uh, with mixed outcomes. Some of the things have been more effective than other, but I believe it's a true emergency. We need to say it's an emergency. We need to continue to work on workforce training and all these other things to grow the economy. But if we don't, if we have people that can't even read. Right. Then that fundamental building block makes everything else impossible. You know, I've thought a lot of we've heard a lot of, about uh, the elder rate right promise that that pays for college and all. Right. Uh, and it's an outstanding thing they do down there, but I thought about taking that that phrase of a promise, an Arkansas promise and and just just tell people directly that we all We all must uh, recognize that we owe students, no matter their culture, no matter their economic status, no matter their residence, we all need to recognize that we owe them an Arkansas promise. And that is the promise that every student, unless they've got some kind of um, uh, intellectual disability that precludes it, but all students should be able to read uh, at grade level by the end of the fourth grade, period. We can't say that. And uh, and certainly there would be individuals that uh, have intellectual disabilities that, that, that weren't able to do that. But as a general matter, we ought to have a promise, an Arkansas promise, that regardless of the background of students, they are able to read at level by the end of the fourth grade. We have to achieve that sort of fundamental um, point because you can't do anything else, really uh, in terms of your education and in terms of progressing the way we want you to in society if you can't read, and this is a huge, huge problem. Um, you know I, I think that each Arkansas student, I think the state spend state and local spend like a hundred and fifty thousand dollars on each Arkansas student as they go, through their uh, school career, and the fact that we've got people coming out the other end of that system who can't read is just a travesty, and so yeah. we've got to double down on that. Um, so, there's something else I wanted to mention. I, if, if, did you want to comment on that? I know you were, you were in the legislature. There were things just like there always
0: is. Well, There's yeah, I mean, it, 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 the, the bottom line is, um, I, I think people ought to be able to, you know, they pay their taxes for uh, that education. I think they ought to be able to take those tax dollars and put them where they, where where it helps their children the most. Um, you know, right. the, the monopolies of public schools uh, being in that 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 government funding business is is uh, starting to show stress. And uh, yeah. uh, we we need to be able to the people need to be able to take those tax dollars and, and go where it, it best suits their children.
1: Yeah, well, you, getting back to uh, parents know best. Look, I, I, I referred to it earlier. My I have one child that goes to Little Rock Public School. And I have another child that does not. And so every day I make that choice. My wife and I, we make that choice together. Um, I know there's so much to to get to here, but I did want to talk a little bit about
0: uh,
1: speed. But go ahead. you got to get a break?
0: Yeah, we got to get a break in. We'll we'll pick that up and hit your other subject, just the other side of the break. Uh, This is Alan Kerr filling in for Dave Ellswick with uh, uh, Lieutenant Governor Tim Griffin. We'll be right back after these messages. Good morning. This is Alan Kerr filling in for Day of Ellswick. I'm uh, on the live line with um, uh, Lieutenant Governor Tim Griffin. And uh, Tim, you uh, you were talking about uh, school choice and all those things that are entailed there.
1: Yes, and I, I, I wanted to get in the last few minutes. I wanted to mention a couple other things, if I could. Absolutely. Um, first of all, on the cuts, the op-ed that Tom Cotton wrote in the New York Times. You know, regardless of how you feel about what he wrote, whether you're a a liberal, conservative, whether you like what he wrote or not, it just boggles my mind that people who work at the New York Times, supposedly enlightened, educated people, they protested free speech, on their pages which is exactly what the opinion page is for I know. it's not for opinions <laughs> with which you agree it's it's just ridiculous right and obviously that's not it's not government action uh but it's still ludicrous yeah that they felt that way the other thing i wanted to mention is you know dialogue about how we can make the country better with regard to uh um the situation that's been going on with George Floyd and, and the protests and all right. dialogue is a is an excellent thing. It, it's exactly what this country is all about, and we ought to always be looking for ways uh, to make our country better, to reform, uh, and and find find the answers to some of these questions that are that are driving this debate. But but let me tell you what hurts the ability for everybody to find the right answers. And that is the the folks on the extreme. You've got these people talking about defunding the police. Well, this is not a new concept. This is a a new version of the abolish ICE concept, right? Right. So we heard about they didn't like something that somebody in an agency did, so you want to get rid of the agency. And then now they didn't like uh, because of – the tragedy with George Floyd, and it is a tragedy, and there's no question. There, there are, there are bad apples uh, in every organization. But because of that, instead of recognizing as it is, which is a, which is an exception, right. uh, it's not does not represent uh, most law enforcement. Obviously, and then now they want to defund the police. Now well, let me uh, follow the logic here. They want to abolish ICE. They want to defund the police. But these are the same people that believe only the police should have guns. <laughs> what? I mean, this, this, is, yeah. this, is, this is unbelievable. Yeah. And, and here's the problem. That sort of conversation is so outside any reasonable conversation. It is so absurd. It is so ridiculous. It's not even – there's not even a place at the table for that kind of conversation. Look, I've been a prosecutor uh, in the Army. I've been in the Army for 24 years. We respect and honor our service members every day. Does that mean there's never been a soldier who did things wrong? Of course not. I've prosecuted soldiers. In fact, I've prosecuted soldiers who are still in jail for attempted murder. But we, don't, we know that that's not the average soldier. We know that that does not represent our armed forces. And it would be ludicrous. It would be absurd. It would be really a waste of time to even discuss a proposal that said, well, there was a bad soldier. We should get rid of the army. It's ridiculous. Right. Yeah. Absolutely ridiculous. But that is the sort of nonsense that, that hampers. Doesn't right. help. It hampers the progress, uh, and so I wanted to make sure that that I mentioned that. that any, you have any comment on well, that? I assume yeah, you agree I mean, with that. Uh,
0: yeah, I do. And and you know, it's always a knee jerk reaction. We always go too far. Uh, in in my jobs as a regulator, and there's always somebody out there doing things that that they think that they've found a a new way to make a new buck and that nobody has ever thought of. Yes, they've thought of it, just they don't do it because it's dishonest. The uh but you don't do away with the entire business because of it. So, you know, um it's yeah. uh it, it's 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 too far the wrong direction and and i i dare them to go one week without a police force in any city in america oh, it's ridiculous yeah yeah well, well we've got uh, we be... got about 30 seconds here uh lieutenant governor
1: yeah well i just wanted to thank you for for having having me on uh i would emphasize that that perspective we just discussed that that doesn't even belong at the table that's yeah. so ridiculous that is so ridiculous uh that um and, and it hurts the progress. I want to mention, you've got ridicu- You got other ridiculous things going on. you got Cox Table getting rid of the show Cops that have been on for decades. Yeah. And now I'm, I'm told that Oscar winning Gone with the Wind is no longer right. available in the HBO yeah. library. I mean,
0: this ridiculous. Is, this anyway, is Alan Kerr. Um, we've, we've been with uh, Lieutenant so. Governor Tim Griffin. We appreciate you, sir. We're going to go to a break and see you right after uh, these messages.